typically in the enterprise space, we have a number of customers across various verticals, be it aviation, business, finance, banking, uh, media and entertainment. There are a number of verticals. We've got a number of different customers across all of those. But we are pretty interested uh, in the life sciences and healthcare vertical because those use cases are quite challenging, both in terms of how much compute resources that are really required to run those uh, uh, simulations and whatever workloads that are run onto the AWS platform. But more importantly, uh, the security requirements are pretty stringent in there, right? There are a number of compliances and accreditations that these uh, life sciences and healthcare verticals typically need. And uh, we make sure that we, our platforms continuously go through those third-party auditors and we get through those certifications and compliances so that customers can really take advantage of that. Now, on this slide, uh, this is basically a life sciences value chain as what we see in the industry today. And uh, across each of these uh, domains like drug discovery, product development, manufacturing and distribution, marketing and sales, we've got a number of customers in each of those uh, element, in each of those uh, uh, verticals or the horizontals in, the, in that particular life sciences. Thing. So, for example, in drug discovery, we've got uh, Novartis, who are doing a lot of uh, uh, computational chemistry and uh, running their workloads in the cloud to get their simulations, etc., done. Similarly, we've got uh, Bristol Myers Squibb, BMS, who are doing a lot of product development in AWS. And we've got Merck and some of the other customers who are leveraging our platform effectively for this. And OpenEye is going to talk about what their use case has been, what their journey looks like, and what have been their learnings been across the space here. Now, as you would have heard uh, in the keynote as well, security is foundational for whatever we do in AWS. This is a day zero thing for us, and we want to make sure that customers actually are own, owning the uh, owning the entire piece in the security fra framework that exists, which is called which is a kind of a shared responsibility model or a shared security responsibility model, wherein while AWS is responsible for the entire infrastructure that we have, and we make sure that all the compliances across various IT landscapes like PCI, SOC, ISO compliances exist for our own infrastructure. But at the same time, customers really own their own infrastructure, and they get a a very good uh, overall stature in terms of their uh, security as to how it stands. And they can purely focus on their own applications rather than worrying about the underlying infrastructure and the compliance requirements therein. So, uh, for example, customers can decide which regions they want to spin up their resources in, what kind of compute resources they want to create, and what kind of compliances they want to do on top of that. We announced uh, uh, some of the HIPAA-related services as well. So uh, uh, now we also uh, signed the BA agreement depending upon the customer's requirement in there. So what that allows customers to do is to basically improve the overall compliance uh, posture for their own applications, which means that in this particular life sciences and healthcare vertical, customers are not only interested in creating a highly reliable, uh, elastic or a highly scalable environment, but they want that environment to be highly secure as well as repeatable. Right, so for example, if one uh, simulation has been done and the same infrastructure is required for multiple simulations, you don't want to go through the grind of creating that infrastructure, going through the compliances and all that stuff. So that infrastructure has to be a controllable infrastructure which can be repeated multiple times for various workloads. So that's what AWS allows uh, 
customers to do have a controllable infrastructure which you, where you can do repeatable testing or repeat that infrastructure and at the same time have the entire auditability and the traceability of what's happening on the platform which is important as you know we've got services like cloud trail aws inspector which actually gives you a deep down information of what's happening on the platform and what's uh, what actions the users are taking on that and the customers in this vertical really give us that feedback so now before I hand over to Anthony, I'd uh, like to say that customers really appreciate the way AWS provides that infrastructure and allows the customers to have that agile infrastructure created, which only not only complies to those security compliances, but also adds the overall cost efficiencies to their platform. And uh, uh, OpenAI will talk about their deployment as to how they have created this and what has been their journey through this entire stage. And uh, please, uh, learn through it and go through it and uh, ask as many questions as you can towards the end. Thank you. Anthony. Hello, um, so I'm Anthony Dickles, CEO of OpenEye. Um, I'm going to be uh, leading you through uh, the work that's been done by my team. The three things I hope you'll get out of this is, uh, I'm going to start with uh, the computational problems um, faced by the pharmaceutical industry. And when I say this, I actually want to refer to one of the meat slides, if I can go back a while. We have this nice slide on the, the value chain. Okay, so. So this is pharma, right, all the different elements. And you hear announcements, like if you were at the partners meeting yesterday, you had um, Dave um, Salem from J&J uh, come up and say how J&J is totally committed to the cloud, et cetera. What they're really talking about is the latter stages, the stages which are really more business-focused, where there's an obvious AWS advantage that they can kind of learn from. Um, I want to make the claim, and it's not totally true, there are some companies, uh, Abbott uh, in particular, I think, is representative in the audience, who have tried to embrace the early stages in, in the cloud. But in general, that's unusual. Uh, our industry has not moved to the cloud. It's been one of the, 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 the lagging parts, and it's really surprising to us the more we got into it as to why that might be. Um, I became kind of aware of that because of the two gentlemen who are going to speak next. Let me get back to my list here. Uh, that, that's the two speakers, Jared Lafon and, and Craig Bruce, um, who uh, came to me five years ago and said, you know, the cloud is where we should be going and AWS is how we should be doing it. And, and it started with just them and now it's basically the entire company is cloud focused from the science, from the software, from uh, the development, every single part of it. So when we thought to put this together, um, we realized that we're kind of, the three of us were really deeply uh, enmeshed in this and we had our different roles. And so we do a little homage to Tarantino that we're doing the, I miss the why, and we have Mr. How, um, uh, who's be Jared, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, um, Craig, and Jared be Mr. What. So if you'll forgive us our, our little uh, um, uh, uh, foibles, but uh, we do feel like you know there's we brought come together to do something very special, and we've learned a lot in the process. And so, thirdly, what I want to talk about is the generalizations, because I think there's a lot of lessons here. Whether you're in computational chemistry, which is our main domain, or any kind of creative scientific enterprise. So, the outline of the talk is I'm going to say a little bit about the modern pharmaceutical industry. I'm going to say. A little bit about OpenEye. Most of you won't know about OpenEye. So why I think we have such grand visions for the industry. Um, 
what specific problems we're trying to solve. We think we're solving with AWS and our, our cloud-native product, Orion. And Jared's going to be very brave and give you a completely live, not canned, not a video, a completely live uh, demo of Orion. Um, you can also come to our booth to see that. And then Craig, uh, Mr. Howe, will tell you a little bit about under the hood about the services from AWS we're using. And then I'll come back on stage and really get back to this generalization thing, which in some ways, for me, having been in this industry and in the science field for more than 30 years, um, is really fascinating. That's really opened my eyes to possibilities, which I hope uh, to share with you. So the modern pharmaceutical industry. So this is what I like to call the inverse Moore law. So I'm sure you're all familiar with Moore's law. 1965, Gordon Moore says, you know, it looks like the density of transistors on a ship is doubling every year. Okay, and that didn't last for long, and it actually became more like every two years. But then it's kind of a rollback. People said, well, the speeds of the chips are also increasing, so processing power is basically going up by a factor of two every 18 months. You know, regardless of how you actually frame it, it's an exponential law. And that means if you plot time on one axis and a log scale, you should get a straight line, right? That's what you would get from an exponential plot. So here's a, um, a straight line plot with a log plot on the uh, y-axis, but it's the cost of bringing a drug to market. And the disappointing thing you might notice from this is that it's a straight line up, okay? So Moore's law is the complete opposite, right? It's got fantastically cheaper to do computation, uh, and that also applies to things like uh, storage as well, over time. Pharma is one of the, you know, the biggest industries in the world fighting life-saving medicines. has gone the other way. And this has been going on for 60 years. Okay, so why? Right? And, and this, this has been a subject of many dissertations and, and uh, um, you know, soul-searching industry. For me, it looks depressingly like a classic law of diminishing returns. If you're trying to find something and there's just a finite amount of it, you end up putting more and more resources into finding what's left. Now, there are other industries which have the same problem, right? You know, oil production. This is a graph of Texas oil production, more or less over the same period, going back to the 1930s. And the, the early finds were like spindle top were 1901, but it wasn't until the East Texas really came online in the 30s that the oil industry really took over, uh, Texas took over that. Um, reaching the peak, around 1970s, if any of you, again, are old as me, you remember the TV series Dallas, okay? That was in the 70s. It was in, it was in the 70s because that was peak oil production. And since then, um, somewhat like TV ratings for Dallas, it kind of went downhill uh, and wasn't cancelled, but it's still there. Uh, until this interesting thing happened right there, okay? And as many of you probably know, if you kind of read uh, newspapers that... Uh, new technology in terms of fracking and also horizontal drilling just opened up new opportunities. And the projections are now that that, that line is going to continue up, maybe not to the Dallas 70s peak, but it will go up to 50, 60, even 70% of peak. It's an amazing thing. You know, this is something where basically it was played out. And now Texas is highly productive. And we're actually based in New Mexico, which borders... Texas, for those of you who don't know what New Mexico is, which is okay, many people don't. Um, there's a huge amount of activity down those areas, so suddenly, you know, this is a profitable business again. So you could ask the question, or I certainly would pose it to you, if it will click, is like, where's that new technology for pharma? Right? So what's going to cause the uptick? What's going to break that trend of ever more expensive drugs? Something's got to. Okay? And I want to make the case, so I think we're trying to make the case as a business and make it to you here today, that Certainly cloud computing, as applied to the scientific side, I'm not just talking about the commercial, 
right? Because yes, there's been lots of new technologies coming along and there's lots of new science people are trying to apply to drug discovery. But I think cloud computing really has a central role or should have a central role to the basic discovery process. So, well, okay, that's, that's nice. Why do we think we are a 50-person company? You know, why do we think we can make a difference? Um, a few key facts, founded 20 years ago. I was at Columbia University and escaped back to New Mexico, and I thought I'd do the American thing and start a company. Um, so now it's 50 employees, Santa Fe in Europe, uh, in Boston, uh, where I'm mostly located in Tokyo. And we really have made some first-in-class software in certain areas for what's called molecular modeling or computer-aided drug design. Um, Large-scale virtual screening is where instead of actually screening many compounds, you screen them in the computer to say which ones do you think we should make, which ones should we test. Um, Cheminformatics, which is the organization of chemical information. It's one of the bedrock technologies that pharma uses. And we've been a software toolkit company, so we provided API points for customers to build their own things on, which I'll, I'll get back to in terms of development later. And I think in that process, I think it's fair to say, obviously I'm somewhat biased, that I think we've become a trusted brand. I think we've become a customer, uh, we've provided customers the things that work, are reliable, and it's certainly been what we've tried to achieve. And say most of the top pharma uh, now have some of our software to some extent, some more than others. But I think it's given us kind of a deep uh, knowledge of the institutional problems. Again, to borrow the current Tarantino theme, I think we know where the bodies are buried. Okay. So, yes, we know our science, we know about virtual screening and so forth, but you can't help if you're visiting customers to listen to the problems they have, which we're like, yeah, there's not much we can do about that. <laughs> you know, you're on your own. But I think as we start to move our basic computational elements into AWS, we began realizing, you know, we could address those other problems. So what I'm really going to talk about here and hope to convince you we've done something about it in Ryan, is these are real computational problems that pharma faces. So the first one is that this is an incredibly multidisciplinary uh, um, enterprise. I don't think there's any other field which touches as many different branches of science. So in basic biology, it goes from the molecular to the cellular to the organ level to the person level to the population level. Those are all different disciplines. Okay, that... That's, that's unique almost unto itself. But on top of that, you've got chemistry for basic molecular construction. You've got physics for basic formulations. You've got statistics for like clinical trials. You've got the medicine, the MD component. You know, it's, that's, they're all different disciplines. And so you get this siloing. You get like, yes, well, that's, I just do this one thing. And I've constantly seen this in pharma that they don't break through the silo. In fact, they make it worse. They subdivide. They say, well, we'll have experts in kinases. We have experts in nuclear hormone receptors. And those people become very good at that one thing, but they know nothing else and don't communicate with it. So that's, that, in terms of data, as I say, knowledge and methods, is a bad thing. You want people to be able to say, well, is this something we could bring in from clinical trials statistically that could use in analyzing virtual screens? Never happens, to my knowledge, because there is this, this, this siloing of, of data, knowledge, and methods and people. Um, computation and data scaling. You know, I think uh, AWS and life sciences is focused largely on things like genomics because there's lots of data, right? And so, yes, you know, we've gone from one human genome to projects to do the complete genome sequences of tens of thousands of cancer patients. That's a massive increase. Many, many zeros added on. So that, there's that there's scaling uh, in both uh, data scaling and computation too. Um, I'm going to create depth because I know you're not particularly you know, technical audience on the science side, but there are things now Computations are big computations which everyone wants to use, and it's just destroying the abilities of companies to manage the computational need. 
And I find it very amusing that uh, I think uh, Andrew uh, Jassy said today that no company, no big companies out there are just continuing to buy data centers. Wrong. Pharma is. We are constantly scratching our heads when we go and find out, and we'll mention names, that they've just bought a big, you know, 3,000 more processes. And we're like, why? Because they haven't gotten the message yet. That's what it is. Um, Retaining data context. This is a big one. Pharma is about getting the drug. It's all about getting the drug. And so there is this tendency to leave behind on the table all the information about how they got there. And again, there's something we would see in talking with people and trying to sell our tools. It's like, you know, how do you keep track of what happened in that previous project? Well, you have to go ask somebody, or it's on a disk somewhere. But there's no sense of how do we keep track of what we've really done. And you can't improve if you don't know your own history. So again, data context. And finally, um, because it's become more expensive, you have to specialize in some ways. And so one of the ways they specialize is outsourcing. So chemistry is often not done in these, even big companies now, uh, it's done by outsourcing to uh, you know, companies in India, China, Russia, England, I mean, anywhere uh, in the U.S. It's, they are fragmenting from these big cathedrals into a more bizarre uh, uh, situation. And so that's great, but um, those companies which are now doing the outsourcing are like, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in pharmaceuticals. Like, why are we just making the compounds? Why don't we actually make drugs? And so you've got a situation where they are both collaborating and competing. And so there's real security issues for that. Okay, there's security, but you don't want it to get in the way of collaborations because you need the collaborations. So those are all computational problems that I think, again, if you know AWS, you may begin to see how we can begin to bring some, some value to. So let's go into those things that we think we're already solving. So this is, this is what we're trying to bring to the table. Um, Joe's going to show you our workflow solution. And I think that really helps with one of the problems that allows easy authoring of solutions. Anyone be able to like bring forth something the whole organization can use. Um, publishing that, uh, or versioning it so you keep a history, you keep the context of what you've done. And of course, the automation and scaling, be able to like scale up across the organization, what I call the democratization of computing. It's one of my favorite phrases. They're trying to get it to everybody, not just the, the, the high priests of particular silos within, within the organization. Data sharing. Um, many of you are programmers. You know that you can, you know, when you're writing an API, you can say, do I pass by reference or do I pass by value? Okay, you know, like, well, if it's a big file, you don't want to pass by value. You want to pass by reference. Um, and yet, <laughs> in our industry, the typical way of sharing information is attaching it to an email. <laughs> okay? They're passing by value. They're not passing by reference. And if you have a single source of where you can put everything, obviously the opportunities are there to say, well, just, you know, change, change the permissions. So now you can look at this too. And so we're adopting this tag system for what we call change and notify. Um, uh, uh, James Hamilton was uh, saying yesterday how, you know, the storage is now unlimited, so you can keep all that context. Maybe you can put it all into a structured database, but don't lose it. Okay, keep it all so you can later go back and say, you know, what we really should have kept track of is, and go find it. Um, and last two, collaborative workspaces and AWS security. I really think what we've seen is that, well, AWS is the answer to that. What they really need to be able to collaborate is a third party to come in with a resource which is secure enough that the big farmer who takes security immensely 
Um, one of the reasons they're kind of slow to adopt, immensely seriously, because it's all about the secrecy of the chemical composition of their drugs, because it's first to market on patenting, and that drives everything. And so I think, again, we've seen this as a way we can kind of like cut the Gordian knot of how do you have your cake and eat it too? Mixing metaphors there. <laughs> how do you collaborate with people who are also your, your competition? So um, with that, I think I will hand over to Jared, Mr. What? And he will show you exactly what we've been doing. Now, thank you, Ant. As Ant said, my name is Jared Lafon, Mr. What? Uh, and I lead the engineering effort for the Orion platform for OpenEye. What I'm going to talk to you about today is two things. First, an example of a problem that we solve using the Orion platform built on top of Amazon Web Services. And then I'll talk to you about how we did that by building a system that could capture all of the science and information necessary to allow our customers to build their own collaborative workflows that run at scale. So what is the problem that we're trying to solve? Well, in essence, it's finding a new drug, a new molecule. That is what our enterprise customers are in the business of doing. And one of the ways that they will go about this is by starting with a drug that already works. We call this a known active molecule. And when I say it's a drug that works, what I mean is that it has some desirable biological properties. And the way we find a new one is that we search through a database or a library of other molecules, and we find ones from that library that are biologically similar, but with a different chemical structure. It's a very important distinction, and I'll talk about why that is shortly. But I want to point out the scale of the libraries that we need to search. We have customers now that want to search 10 to the 20th libraries, that much cardinality. It's truly immense. This process is known as ligand-based lead discovery. That's what it is in words. Here it is in a picture. So if you start with the picture on the left, that is our known active molecule, that's a drug that works. The way we search the databases is we do three-dimensional comparisons of the shape, and that's shown in the center. So for every molecule in the database we're, set, we're searching, we compare its shape in 3D to our known active. All right, we do an overlay. And the premise is this. If two molecules have a similar three-dimensional shape, they will have similar biological properties. So that given the picture on the left, where we started with our known active, and 3D overlays, an example of which is shown in the center, it can lead you to a new molecule shown on the right. And I mentioned earlier, we wanted to look for molecules with a similar biological activity, but with a different chemical structure. And that's very important, because the picture on the left is different from the picture on the right. And guess what? Drugs are patented based on that picture. So it's very important. I also want to point out that that three-dimensional overlay I'm going to demonstrate for you shortly is a CPU-intensive problem. And doing it billions of times or more makes it a data-intensive problem. So I'm going to show you what it would look like if we could do this calculation and see the results blazingly fast. So what we're looking at now is the Orion web interface. All of the infrastructure powering this is running inside of AWS. And we're looking at the results of a ligand-based lead discovery workflow, where I started with the molecule that's shown there, which is aspirin. And I searched a database of 10 million compounds. And this runs using a combination of GPUs and CPUs that my colleague Craig is going to talk about later. And it runs in under a minute. And that includes annotating all of the results with some useful properties, doing all of the ETL that we do within our platform, and storing them securely in, in Aurora and S3. So I can see the results both in 2D 
Every point on that scatter plot uh, represents one of those results. It's a molecule. In addition to the 2D, I can actually see them in 3D and see how they look right here without ever leaving my browser. And again, we can do this blazingly fast. Um, one of our enterprise customers that actually does this is Pfizer, and they've provided this slide to us for this talk. And this shows at a high level the workflow that they are building as we speak on AWS using Orion. It also uses a combination of GPUs and CPUs. And if I zoom in and highlight one particular area, what it actually looks like in implementation is a lot more complicated. Okay, there are a lot of moving parts there. It's been curated by an expert. In fact, this workflow has been built on the platform already using a tool that we built just to run on AWS called Flow. Flow is a cloud-native workflow engine. It's Python-based, and it's built just for AWS. You can build workflows with Flow that are composed of small, reusable components. We call them cubes. And cubes are defined by a few lines of Python, as few as three lines of Python, in fact. And it can be any Python. You can use anything you want from the scientific Python ecosystem. And those cubes then run on the automated Docker container infrastructure that Craig's going to describe for you in just a moment. One of the interesting features that I want to point out is that Flow has built-in parallelism that we've already successfully scaled to thousands of CPUs without having to worry, the end user having to worry about any of the infrastructure. This allows an expert to go ahead and design and build the workflow, and when they're happy with it, they can publish it on the platform so that others can consume it. In fact, the results that I just showed you were from a workflow that an expert in our company had built and shared on the platform with me. The built-in scheduler will automate and scale all of the necessary infrastructures so that I can just run it. So now I'm going to tempt fate. Uh, a lot of people have talked about building pipelines in the cloud or doing computations, and I'm going to actually build one in front of you and run it. Before I run it, I want to show you what the actual ligand-basedly discovery workflow looks like. And the point I'm making here, I don't want you to read all of this, is that there are a lot of moving parts here. It's been curated by an expert. And if I want to run this, all I have to do is click the Run button. And then it asks me one simple question, what is my query? And in the example I used earlier, this is the known active molecule that it's asking for, to search. But rather than using a canned one, I'm going to build a new one. So I have an empty workspace here where I can build a workflow. And the first thing I'm going to do is drag in some of those cubes. I know what I'm looking for, so I'm going to search for them by name. I'm bringing in a dataset reader and writer cube. You can think of data sets as objects stored in S3. And these two cubes know how to read and write those objects. And those objects contain molecular data. Next, I'm going to bring in a cube that runs in parallel. This is called Parallel Rocks. That cube performs that 3D shape comparison that I talked about earlier. ROC stands for Rapid Overlay of Chemical Structures. And then finally, I don't want to keep all of the results. I just want to keep the best ones. So I'm going to bring in a cube that will give me the top 100. It will sort and rank them. I'll connect them together now. This will allow molecules to stream between the cubes on the platform when I run. And so now I've connected it together, all I have to do to run it is click Run. It's looked at the workflow and determined that I need to satisfy some parameters in order to execute it. The first one is, well, what is the database that I want to search? I have one prepared that I'm going to select. It's got a random sampling of a much larger database of about 60,000 molecules. And then for a query, I'll type in the name of a very useful drug, 
aspirin. And we'll search for things that are biologically similar to aspirin. And finally, I have to tell it what to sort and rank uh, my hits by. <clears throat> and that's a feature of the data that comes out of that calculation. So now this is actually running live in AWS. I could close the lid to my laptop, come back to it later. It would still be there. It's all stored securely in the platform. There are a lot of things that I didn't have to do. My background is in HPC, and in the old days, I would have to submit a job to a cluster and tell it exactly how many CPUs I wanted and for exactly how long the job should run. I didn't do any of that in this example, and it chose all on its own to use about 200 CPUs. If you can see the number, it's in the upper right-hand corner. I also didn't tell it how long it should run for. It's going to handle all that automatically. I didn't tell it how to move those molecules around between the cubes over a network encrypted. There's about 25,000 lines of C++ just for the first cube that power it, by the way. <clears throat> I also want to point out that we have a GPU version of this calculation, but it's so fast that it would finish before I could finish this sentence. So I actually had to slow the demo down by using a CPU version so I could have enough time to actually talk about something. So now it's done, and I can actually just see the results immediately. So these are molecules that are biologically similar to aspirin that came from this random sampling of a database. You can see them in 2D, and I can see them in 3D. This is aspirin that we started with, and I can actually look and see what those results look like. So in a very short amount of time, I can go from having an idea and constructing it to running it and seeing data without ever closing my browser tab. This is the kind of world-class automation that will really empower your colleagues if you're doing this kind of work. Another one of our, our customers is Merck. And Merck is also a valued customer that is an early adopter of cloud computing. And I don't have time to talk about all of the details in this slide. There's actually a large amount of science and technology that powers even a single component here. What I want to highlight is that the key component to making all of this work is collaboration. I've showed you an example of a computational pipeline and how we can make it run. But it, beco it becomes even more enabling with the collaboration tools that you can build when the data, the metadata, and all the history of it, and the calculation live on the same platform. And that's what we get when building on top of AWS. So that was the what. And for the how, I'm going to turn over to my colleague, Craig Bruce. So thank you, Jared. So when I take a peek under the hood of Orion, it's going to be a sneak peek. There's so much in there, I could spend all day telling you about it. So instead of doing that, you know, come and find me at our booth. Here's my Twitter handle. I'd love to speak to all of you about it. So let's start the architecture diagram. So security, absolutely paramount. You can only run Orion in a VPC. Why would you want to run it anywhere else? It's an extension to your data center. Everything is encrypted between this using Direct Connect or other VPN solutions of your choice. And we follow all the best practices Amazon has to offer. We always use multiple availability zones, which in VPC language means multiple subnets. So we're going to dive into these different pieces of how we've um, used a lot. So we've used about 20 of Amazon's 60 products, which is a pretty high number. Okay. So one of our favorite tools is CloudFormation. This lets us essentially take a, like a Allegro approach to constructing Orion into a stack. Do not try and read the diagram. This is our template as depicted by the CloudFormation designer. It's just to highlight, there's a lot in there. There's a lot of different parts. They're all hooked up. They all do useful things. But what's really nice about this is it's incredibly reproducible. We can launch dozens of Orions a day. Um, we need to add a new resource. Great, we just add it to the template. 
you don't have to tear down the whole stack. You can actually just update the template on the fly. It'll update the stack for you, which is a facility we've been using more and more, which is incredibly powerful. And because it is just a JSON template, or in the last few months, a YAML template, um, it makes it you know, very shareable. We can give this to Pfizer, we give it to Merck, there's a template, they run it, and voila, there is Orion. Um, that's really, you know, I've given them a whole data center in one file. That is just not possible a few years ago. When we think about how we install other traditional software, downloading a file and hoping that Red Hat works or this is installed, none of that. So let's look at the compute application services we use. Uh, Orion is a three-layer application. Uh, the first layer is the web layer, and we use a lot of EC2 instances. So we use multiple types, C3, C4s, apparently now C5s will be adding to the roster. And we use GPUs as well, as Jared mentioned. We have essentially a microservice called FastRocks, which can do this calculation incredibly fast, as well as we can use GPUs for running code, which is native to um, using GPUs, such as medical dynamics is a very popular uh, calculation type. To save on your costs, we utilize Spot wherever we can. So in the three scaling groups, the, the last scaling group is a Spot scaling group. And you'll notice every instance resides in a scaling group. I do not want to call in the middle of the night because something went down. I want it to take care of itself, be self-healing. So we always use scaling groups exclusively. Um, they take care of themselves in terms of growing. As the amount of work goes up, they'll grow themselves. We use dynamic scaling policies. So the more work there is, the quicker we add instances, be it 1, 5, 25, 50, 100 even, if there's enough work to generate that. One of the unsung heroes is CloudWatch, uh, a really useful service that gathers metrics about the different resources you create, be it EC2, your scaling groups, your ELBs. We can make custom metrics as well. This is what we do to help scale these scaling groups. So we have a custom metric that we populate with a, the size of the queue of work to do, and that is what is used to scale up our, our support workers. So the interesting part for the computers is the back two layers. So the front layer is the web interface, uh, powered regular two instances and elastic load balancer, very standard. But the back is where all the computation happens. So we use SWS, Simple Workflow Service. This is a not a very popular service, I don't think, but it's actually incredibly powerful as you handle state in a really interesting way. So on these instances, we have to run a decider and a worker, and these are basically polling the SWF managed service from Amazon, asking for, are there any tasks? Let me make a decision for you. So the deciders decide what to do, and then the workers will do any work that's required. And because this is stateful, we can handle errors really gracefully. So this is where the serial cubes will run. So you just saw in the demo, the database, data set reading and writing happens in this middle layer. For the parallel cubes, we have a separate scaling group, because this has to scale a lot larger, from 1 to 500 typically, um, whereas the middle one maybe is like 1 to 20 typically. And for this, we don't use SWF. We instead use SQS, the simple queuing service. So this is where we pump in all the different messages we require, and in each of these instances, there is a worker pulling down a message. It will run some calculation based on that and return the results to the database. Now, both of these scaling groups um, are entirely powered using Docker. So every time we're running a cube, we create a sandbox and a container. We execute it, terminate it. Start a new one, execute it, terminate it. Um, we're not using ECS. We have evaluated ECS. But we found ECS is great for like the front layer for doing web type applications. We can only launch 10 containers at a time with ECS. I might need 1,000. Um, so we have been working with the ECS team, and it's something that uh, as that improves, as the products always do, we think ECS will be more interesting for us. But at the moment, we do our own orchestration, so exclusively using Docker. When it comes to the storage and database, we have your data sets, we have your profiles, we have your sharing preferences, we have who you've shared with what. We put these all in various different managed services. We don't want to, we, there are no DBAs at OpenAI. 
There are no people looking after services, so this is why these managed services are really handy for us. So the main ones are obviously S3 for our data sets, essentially unlimited, and also a great place to do archiving. As you say, there's no reason to delete anything, but nor should you pay the full price when you can use Glacier as well, so we can get the best of both worlds. Aurora is our favorite place for using. We've used almost every database and engine on RDS. Very happy when Aurora came out. Even happier the Postgres support was announced this morning. So we'll be looking to explore that very soon. And we use ElastCache for our in-memory data store. So all the pictures of the molecules you saw in the 2D, they're cached on the fly. So the second time you look at them, we can get it back to you incredibly quickly. We have a lot of developers working on Orion, and we've taken advantage of the developer tools um, that AWS offers, specifically CodeDeploy and CodePipeline. So this enables us to completely automate our deployments. Be it one inch, well, there's always four instances running in Orion, but there could be 500. You don't log in and update your code. Let CodeDeploy take care of it for you. Um, this is the only tool from AWS that our web team actually uses. You know, they don't use launch instances, they use CloudFormation, but they do want to deploy their new code, their new JavaScript. They use CodeDeploy directly and they can launch the, or deploy their new code without having to come to the DevOps team, empowering them to just get on and do their work. Um, code pipeline is something we've been using more and more recently. We started to integrate it with our CI and CD solution. Um, so now when we pushed our Git repositories, we actually deploy the code to a real stack running in our private VPC. And then we start running third-party tests, so host inspector we started using for browser tests. And there's a few others of performance and API checking that we're going to start as adding to. As you heard, we use a lot of Python. So as this is a, a web service, we actually use Django, one of the world's most popular frameworks for Python. And by extension, when we're talking to AWS, which is a lot, uh, we use Boto and, and more so Boto 3. When it comes to configuring instances, we actually have code deploy run Ansible first and then update the application. Um, why Ansible? Why not Opsworks? You know, it's a managed service from AWS. Uh, we found as a Python shop, and with all our scripts in Python, that Ansible was a better fit for us. So while there's a lot of power of using AWS tools, it's uh, sometimes good to swap out other ones that work better for you. So there's many other tools to use as well. I'm not going to go through all of them, um, but they all have a very important role too. And we're constantly evaluating the ones that we're not currently using, such as Amazon Certificate Manager for TLS, because that's obviously a top priority, as well as ECS, as I mentioned. When it comes to hosting Orion, we have a few different options available. So we can host it for you in a traditional sort of SaaS model in orion.ism.com, if you'd like. Um, that's in our account. It's our VPC. Um, there's no access to your data center, though. Um, and it's multi-tenancy. It'll be your company, another company, academics, a nice mix, very traditional. Um, and we'll look after it for you, which is, you know, a great perk. However, some people, such as the Pfizer's and the Mercs, they want to have access to their internal resources. So they do want to run it in their Amazon account, which is where CloudFormation makes that so much easier to share it with them. They can then pick the tenancy that they want to use on EC2, and then they can administer and support it themselves too. So as I said, so 20 different pieces of Amazon, there's a lot of different pieces. We could never have built Orion without AWS. It would have been a really, we would have still been working on queues five years down the line. So I'm really glad to have SQS there um, and SWF, both of which we spend under $100 a month on. You know, I can't run a machine for that amount. So I'm really happy to leverage those. A lot of the services are becoming more enterprise-friendly, VPCs being the classic example of security and enterprise-friendliness. And hopefully you can see that while it's great individually, you know, we could have just used VPC, EC2, done my own loan balancing, my own databases, my own caching services, but we found you know, mixing them together is incredibly powerful. And although we're a little bit old for a startup, 
um, we do get that agility. So we can do hundreds of deployments a day. Uh, we'll submit thousands of workflows to SWF and consume millions of messages a month. And the key to that is we automate everything. At no point are we trying to do things by hand. You do it once, learn it, automate it, repeat, repeat, repeat. So I'm going to do a quick uh, recap on some of the lessons learned. Uh, CloudTrail, as Amir mentioned earlier, is a great way to audit your AWS logs, or your, your AB, sorry, your AWS API usage. It's not turned on by default, go and turn it on now. There is no reason not to. It's a really great resource. When it comes to debugging permission problems, that's where you need to be. Um, as I've said, you know, CloudFormation is a great tool, um, but it does have some drawbacks. It's a bit tricky. How do you handle your secrets, your database passwords, your application passwords, your cookie passwords? Um, we put them S3 so we can easily access them later on. And for bonus marks, please encrypt them. Use KMS. It's there. It's easy. $1 a month. Um, you can encrypt it using your own keys. Um, Code Deploy, as I said, is a very powerful tool for us. Um, it's the only way people get onto our instances. No one logs on directly. You just, if you want to change something, change the Ansible playbook, change the code, deploy it. Um, and this made it really easy for us to know that we always have this statelessness about the instances. They go down, I don't care. We'll just launch another one. It'll take care of itself. And while we're talking about EC2, don't forget to buy your reserved instances because you will save 40%, which starts adding up a lot when you have this many machines running. Um, and now you should be at your um, convertible instance types as well. Um, so you can be really flexible when you're planning. So that's, I'm going to hand back to Anthony for the generalizations. Ah, yes, thank you, Craig. Okay, so back to why. Um, why should you care? Uh, I, I very much doubt that the majority of you are actually in, even in the life sciences, because I've made a point, I think life sciences are underrepresented in AWS. So um, I'm presuming people out, out there would like to know what I'm going to try and do at the end, which is what are the generalizations here that you can learn from? So we've said there are these big things that we think we could tackle, which are kind of meta problems to our central uh, uh, core competency, which is the kind of computational chemistry side, which are security and collaborations, scaling, uh, tagging, keeping context, and this like de-siloing. So it's really swept us along. We didn't anticipate to be trying to address all these things, but, uh, but it, it, it's, it's become everything to our company. So um, let me just start with automation and scaling, which is in some sense the obvious one, and it addresses some of the security because you can make everything kind of automatic, as Craig mentioned, uh, and obviously you know scaling up to you know, teraflops, petaflops, uh, petabytes, whatever, and that really does uh, is the classical thing that we really started thinking AWS was about five years ago. That it's a big computer, right? It's where you go to process your bits. Well. If you think about that in terms of the key uh, components, which are the automation and the scaling, you put those on different axes and think about them in terms of high or low. Um, if you're in the low automation, you kind of handcraft things, you can get some scaling. I have you know, quantum chemists who regularly say, oh, we've tuned this code so it runs over eight processors, and they're kind of experts, and they get that. It's a common enough skill. Um, but the novices, really, they won't do that unless it's just push-button, right? It's just done for them. But that's, again, you know, that's, again, it's, it's kind of usual. Um, you can go the other way. Uh, I put Jared in that category. He came to us from Los Alamos. Well, they ran really big, you know, scaling. Uh, you know, it doesn't get much bigger than you know, modeling nuclear weapons or more important. Um, but you really have to know what you're doing. And there are very few people who really could do the high scaling and have to know the details of that. 
So, you know, we've got this like other quadrant there. And my point is going to be that AWS puts us into that, that top right-hand quadrant every single time. What do you get when you have high automation and scaling? We get highly functioned novices. Okay? Anyone can kind of do big calculations easily. The calculation Jared showed is something that typically only an expert, one of our typical customers, would do. And we're giving it to everybody. That's not restricted to a silo of a particular profession anymore. It's like anybody in the company can get utility out of it can. And I think that's really exceptional. It allows you to think about how you empower a productive organization. You don't have to like knock on someone's door and say, do you have time to run that calculation? You can do it because of automation and scaling that Amazon gives you. So that's, that's the obvious one, right? And this is where we came into it thinking, wow, yes, we're a computational company. Let's give it to everybody. But over time, I think the idea of a central resource has become even more important to us. And you can see the number of icons. We think it addresses security, addresses de-siloing, as you can share, addresses collaborations, addresses keeping the context. Don't throw anything away. You might want it later. If you have a central resource, you can really do that. And, and really helps with you know, the central things I have on the right there, the kind of uh, communications and analysis of what's really going on in your data. Um, so again, if you think of the two important variables, of scale, I would say the scale, how big is your resource, and how accessible is it? So again, if you go low, low, well, that's the way we used to be, right? We had individuals and had their computer, and maybe they were really excited because they got a new disk on it so they could store more, right? So, and if they're in a big company, you know, um, they'll, they'll have some big database somewhere or some network and that, you know, but that's typically for your branch of the company. You didn't get to use everything. So that leads to this, leads to this kind of siloing. You can go the other way. You can say, well, about if it's like really accessible, but there's not much scale. And you can really build communities. If you think like blogs, really, in the early days of the internet, that's really what you had. Internet provided accessibility, but it wasn't really big scale. I mean, yes, things like Facebook and so forth have obviously become, you know, to tackle that scale-wise. But for a single company, what does it mean to be in the top part of that quadrant? Well, you really get an enterprise. What I really define as an enterprise. You get something, in my mind, that is a productive organization because everyone has access to everything. Right? And that is like, you know, maybe your organization is lucky enough that that's like a given. But trust me, in the pharmaceutical industry, it is not true. Sometimes for good reasons, because they have secrets they have to keep, right? You don't want everyone to know what the latest clinical trial result is. But for a lot of it, it's, it's become this thing that's been brought with the industry, which is really not as useful as they think, and it is, it is de-empowering people. And I think if you have the facility which AWS gives you to have high accessibility and high scale, that's really what an enterprise should look like. And finally, I want to say something about work design, the thing that Jared has shown, and it's been his baby, and it's brought to us, and we're, we're amazed by it. It's what he's done and what we think we can bring to, to our field, and I think others. And there it addresses, obviously, the scaling. It addresses de-siloing, because you can share workflows. You can publish them. You can version them with tagging so you don't lose information. You can collaborate with them. How do you get functionality that you've developed in the hands of somebody you're collaborating with? Very difficult to do, but we make it easy. And so again, I think the axis here are obviously ease of use. You can see, you know, dragging things together to make programs is, is really, really pretty, can't get much simpler than that. And even writing the cubes can be just a few lines of Python. And then there's the complexity. Like, you really make things, as Jared showed you, which are highly crafted by experts, which you can then share around. And I think what you get, if you go through the same exercise as we've done, is that, you know, if you're just hacking around, like I used to and most of us did, you're in kind of the low end, the shallow end of the pool, right? It wasn't easy. I was writing assembly when I first started writing computers, right? And, and it didn't, wasn't that useful. It was just like to do a little you know, thing I wanted done. 
Um, if you go to the high utility, but still low power, you can make a community of people who play with things, right? And it's fun, right? And we can all do that um, if we have the time or energy. You can go the other way to say it's difficult, and this is kind of somewhat the curse of our field. It's difficult, but you get a lot of power. You just got to know what you're doing. And that really leads to this kind of what I call the high priest, the high priestess kind of view of things. That you, you just got to know, and that's my job. And that's what we're trying to destroy. Sorry, because <laughs> there's a lot of our customers who really think that ought to be more um, generalized. And I think if you really have high ease of use and high power, it's revolutionary. There is no other way around it. Another word gets bandied around a lot with AWS, but it truly is. You're suddenly putting a lot of power in everyone's hands. And I think that's how innovation would, you know, I get so tired of people using the word innovation, because most, 98% of the people who use the word innovation never innovated anything in their life. Right? But it's like, you know, I, I saw some press release from not one of my favorite CEOs of GSK. It's like, it was like eight uses of the word innovation in this one press release. I, they don't know what it means. But innovation really happens, I think, when you allow everyone access to the tools. And it's not just the person that's been doing it for all their life. And I think that's what you can get um, with this kind of approach and with AWS backing you to really like, you know, make new things. And I think it allows ownership too. I want to say a little bit very briefly, there's a comment by games, uh, um, uh, by, by Andrew, uh, Andy himself, where he said, uh, today in, in, in the keynote, um, making fun of our, our good friend at Oracle that, you know, you, you get rid of the posturing, right? Well, if everyone can have access to things, you can all work out what works best. You don't have to rely on someone to tell you. You can do it as a community, and if you do that, you have ownership of it, and everyone buys in, and that's what I'm trying to do to our community. There's been far too much people saying, well, obviously this works best. I'm going to make them put up or shut up. I'm using AWS to do it, my hidden agenda. So, so I'm going to finish up and say, yeah, there's a lot of confidence and synergy that you get from the different components, which I put down to the, the computation, the analysis, the communication, and the development resource. And we had no idea when we started off that these would all come together and, and reinforce each other and really take over my company and the vision of what we do. And I really think it, it's made us realize that, you know, if you, if you buy into this, you should be very careful because you have no choice but to try to change your world. And again, um, uh, Andy um, Jassy made this point yesterday. You can't buy in for a little bit of the cloud. You have to be all in or you will just get left behind. And that's the real lesson I want to leave you with because it didn't, we didn't realize that when we started but it's what we've realized after five years of this. And if you don't want to change your world, you can always come change it with us. We are actually actively hiring. We have a booth, so I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> um, so I uh, appreciate your attention. Um, we'll take questions, and thank you very much. Remember to complete your evaluations. Thank you.